Good morning, everyone. Good morning to those who are joining us online as well. Um, it's good to be here. And today is going to be a quite an exciting topic. It's going to be one that's a long passage, right, of First Corinthians 15. Now, if you look at the whole entire chapter, there are 58 verses. And today I'm supposed to cover up to 49. Um, but confession to make, I over-prepared. I went all the way to 58. Uh, Pastor Clement will do two weeks from now, but I think the bonus for us here is you get two for the price of one. Okay, so hallelujah, praise the Lord. Okay, uh, so it just means that Paul, if you can see this topic alone on doctrine of resurrection, Christ is risen, 58 verses, it just means Paul has a lot a lot to, t- uh, to talk about. This particular base pivotal and a critical anchor of our Christian faith. Resurrection. What does it mean? It means one die, the same person who dies, same body comes alive again. Okay, It's different from other concepts. It's not reincarnation. It's resurrection. Same person die, come back to life again. Okay, So, didn't call me the Slido pastor. Okay, uh, Take out your phones. One of us few times, come, okay, I'm going to get you to come and join me in the poll. Now, I want to thank you, uh, think with me, okay? Now, you've sang a lot about the worship songs on the resurrection. Now, I want you to think critically, okay? This is a question. I need to be, actually be serious about it. I don't know how many of you processed this, but I did. This is the question, okay? Go to the polls. Do you really believe in the Christian resurre- resurrection? Really, do you believe in this? And I want you to be honest with me, okay? Yes or no, or I'm not sure. And I don't want you to just go through the Sunday school, the Bible school, and just say, yeah lah, everybody believe I, okay lah. Just go with the flow, right? I want you to critically think about it. Do you actually believe? The dead can rise again? Like cognitively also. Do you ever struggle with this? And let me show the results. Whoa, okay. hundred of us have uh, participated and there are more coming in. This is an all-play segment. So everyone just please participate, okay? There's a question to come after this. So let's show the results and let's see, okay? Wow, okay. We have a high hit in terms of yes, okay? Uh, we sang about it, right? If I don't believe in it, it makes me hypocritical. Better say yes, right? So I can't think. <laughs> uh, but there are some that's honest here to say I'm not sure. Very good, okay? Because it is a really, really controversial doctrine, right? Like how can the dead rise again? We don't see a lot of it, really. Now I'm going to ask the next question here. So keep your eyes on the poll, okay? And go back to the phone. And I want you to tell me, why do you believe for the majority of you? Or if you don't, okay, how can you believe in such an incredibly ridiculous theory? How, what is your conviction? Why will you believe in this? How have you come to realize this? Because this is the point of today's sermon. Why? Why do you believe? How? What, what, what made you believe, right? And I want to hear responses and let's see. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to show the results now. And here we go. Faith. Okay. Uh, there are many names here. Faith. Okay. So faith. Okay. The Bible says so very good because you trust in scripture. You trust in the Bible. 
And you say, so because Jesus resurrected, but you never see what, right? How do you know, right? Okay, it's happened 2,000 years ago, more than 2,000 years ago. Evidence, okay, some, I saw some evidence here. Um, basis, history, your work with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Yes, that's right, okay. Um, and, and I think that many of us here are convinced. And I want to, let me try to see whether I got any negative responses or not, right? Um, hmm. Tell me spot, laser eyes. Why not? Right, because the pastor says so. <laughs> hey, hello. Okay, I better not say anything. <laughs> the pastor says so, right? Okay. Uh, okay. Very good. Now, I hope that I put this up so that everyone can see where your faith, your belief is. And I hope that you are encouraged. But let me say this, okay? We don't come to this easily just because the pastor says so or everyone thinks so. We come to this. This is exactly the anchor theology of 1 Corinthians 15, what we're going to look at, okay? And what does the resurrection mean? What is it? What does it mean for us? Why is it so important? What does denying this resurrection mean? And obviously, the first, the Corinthians Christians must have had issues with it. So much so that Paul uh, actually wrote so intently, very intense about it, to tell them about it. Okay? And uh, thank you. Thank you, Errol. Now, let me just stop the poll now. There has one more, there's one more poll coming in later, so keep your phone on. But let me just tell you the outline for today. Uh, this is actually the outline of the chapter, and I'm not going to preach through this. You can see this is how Paul breaks down in his sermon in chapter 15. Take a photo if you want. You go back and read it, and you will see how he structured his sermon. There are at least six sermons inside, so that's how packed it is. But I'm not going to preach this. I'm going to go through in a different way. I'll break it down uh, for us because we have 30 minutes only. I'll try to pack all these in, okay? So because of this rush, let's go to God in prayer and ask for Him uh, to help us. Will you join me in prayer? Now, Lord Jesus, this sermon is about what you've done for our freedom from the curse of sin. And even as I speak, may they hear your voice over mine and realign perspectives and worldviews of our lives accordingly to your purpose. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts here be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now there's quite a lot to cover, but just for today, let me just say, if you want to have a couple of commentaries that's really, really good, talk about First Corinthians, these are the three texts, the three books that I draw uh, most of my insights from, particularly in the first one by Ben, ben Weatherington. Okay? So he lo- wrote quite uh, extensively on the social context, the social uh, rhetorical context. Okay? Now let me start with the problem of First Corinthians uh, 15, and you can see, try to see if you can identify with this. And it would be good if Paul write the problem from the start. But in the case of 1 Corinthians 15, it started at the center. And um, the first point I want to bring to you is this, okay? A bad theology of death will lead to a bad way of life, okay? A bad theology of death will lead to a bad way of life. And it starts here. And Paul writes this in verse 29. He says, now, if there is no resurrection... What will those do who are baptized for the dead? 
If the dead are not raised at all, at all why are people baptized for them? Now, that statement is a very controversial one there, okay? Uh, let me continue. I'll come back to that later. And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes. And just as surely I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus and no more than human hopes. What have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. So there you have it, the problem. What's the problem? These are Corinthian Christians that seem to want the benefits of salvation in Jesus Christ yet reject the concept of resurrection. Now, in Christian terms for us when we study, these are the kind of people who have a, a poor or even no concept of eschatology. Why well, eschatology is a big word, but it's essentially the theology of a theology concerning with death, judgment, and final destiny of soul uh, of mankind. Now, let me say this. If you have a bad theology of death, you will have a bad way of living your life. So what is this bad theology of death that they have? Now let me explain more. So it turned out that pagan belief in the times of the Greco-Roman Empire, pagan belief has crept into the church and influenced their view of salvation and baptism. Right, the whole Corinthians, uh, we have been learning about how the, the, the Corinthian church have been influenced by pagan worship, right? And same thing when it comes to baptism and salvation, same thing as well as influence. So according to Ben Wetherington in his book here, he says that, see, Greco-Roman paganism, their belief, a lot of the culture and paganism don't stress much on the afterlife, they, they practice religion, not so much about the afterlife. In fact, religion then was often practiced for the present benefit, such as wealth, health, safety, wellness. Sounds familiar? Okay. So the practice of pagan magic, the kind of pagan magic is like calling forth the departed spirits, right? Spirit for ancestors was quite common in those days. It was actually a very important part of Roman piety and often practiced daily at home. They would call forth the spirit, okay? And sometimes at the tombs, actually often at the tombs. Now this belief of keeping the family harmoniously together extended to departed spirits, and meals were often eaten in dining areas adjacent to the tomb. Okay? Uh, and some even extended sacrifices offered on behalf of the dead. Now, this, uh, this is very common in pagan worship then. Now, baptism rites, just for, to tell you, uh, it's not only practiced by Christians, right? Um, if you trace back history, baptisms were also done by pagan worship as well, uh, and even had pagan origin to a certain extent. Now, it was documented that pagan baptisms okay, were done in bull's blood, right? Was even done uh, in honor of the emperor, then some people substituted themselves to, to baptize in bull's blood for, uh, to ask for the wellness of the emperor. And then also documented in history, some emperors even baptized themselves in bull's blood because they believe that this is really a ritual sacrifice. Now, verse 29, coming back, gives us a clue 
of how some of these superstitious practices that has crept into the church. Now it says, now if there's no resurrection, then what would those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? So some Corinth Christians apparently okay, uh, believe that you know, baptism done in proximity to a tomb can extend salvation to the dead. Some has even gone to offer themselves to be baptized in proxy for the dead, hoping that they will receive salvation. So that seems to be what Paul was alluding to. Now, just to clarify, scholars also noted that Paul is not really endorsing baptism for the dead or proxy baptism. He's actually illustrating this point to say that, so baptism is, no, sorry, resurrection is so real. Everyone is doing it. And it has even caused people to develop more superstitious belief out of this, you know. How can you deny it? So he's just stating a fact that they, because it's, you know, there's a witnesses and there are people around, more have come out of it rather than rejecting it. Now, if you want to know, uh, of course, Paul later will go on to explain what Christian resurrection is, right? We'll come to that later. But another key influence of religious belief those days was the influence of the imperial cult. What is the imperial cult? Now, the imperial cult was a, a kind of like, you know, the, the Roman gods, or sorry, Roman emperors were treated as gods and able to grant salvation to people. Our scholars also noted that anyone who visited Corinth in those days would testify to the might of the imperial rulers for the salvation of the Roman people. You see how the imperial rulers were powerful. The Roman soldier is form- the Roman Empire was formidable. See, so the more victory the, ro- the, the imperial rulers had over war or civil control, the more powerful they are in granting salvation. So what is salvation? Salvation basically for them means uh, amounted to present blessings of safety, health, wealth for Corinth. And obviously, the more well-to-do family got the lion's share of this whole entire benefit because the wealth and the rich family would have supplied, would have been able to afford to give and supply more priests and priestesses for their temple of sacrifice. And this temple would be praying for the imperial cult, right? The cult. And it's almost like pagan prosperity message, you know. They have it there too, you know, right? How does it work? More money means more priests and priestesses for the temples that offer prayers for the Roman emperor. And hopefully they become more powerful, claim more blessings back to them. That's why it's called an imperial cult. So for them, salvation is the here and now. And many people either believe or deny religion But more possible, people believe in religion in those days for the practical, tangible benefits of the present. Health, wealth, wellness is salvation. Whoever grants these is God. That's why people worship gods. You have the money God. You have the health God. The wellness God. Right? Many people worship Caesar. Caesar is God. He can grant all three. That's why it's the imperial cult. Question is, are we like that? 
What is salvation to you? Think about this. Do you believe in God for money, health, wellness? Is your salvation freedom from poverty, unhappiness and suffering? Is that your salvation concept? Because the Christian concept is not like that. The Christian concept is freedom from the curse of sin and death. Because that's what Christ has done to death. Instead of the riches Christ offer in the present life, let me say this, true Christian salvation is about eternal life and death in heaven. Amen? Ayo. Have I shaken some of your roots? No wonder so many people walk away from Christ when it offers no monetary or financial benefits or wellness benefit. No wonder prosperity gospel is such a hit. No wonder so many people struggle. If God is real, why so many poor and needy people? Why am I poor and suffering and slogging away, right? If that is your belief, that's Wrong theology, bad theology of salvation. The point of salvation is not about the present life, but about the life to come. Bad theology leads to bad way of life. The Corinth Christian have mixed and matched pagan and Christian belief for personal gain. Christ is for this life, and if God can't grant me what I want, then no point believing it. Resurrection is not important. Since we're all going to die, let's eat, let's drink as much as we want, for tomorrow we die. Friends, don't be like that. If you're like that, that's what the Corinth Christians is like. Completely stupid and foolish. Rejecting the salvation by rejecting the resurrection. Bad theology of death lead to bad way of life. And that's the attitude. They belittle it. That's why now you know why Paul says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought. Stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. So this is the first point, remember. A bad theology of death leads to a bad way of life. So what's a good theology of death then? What's a good theology? Everyone say this with me. This is what we believe, okay? On the principal theology of 1 Corinthians, is on salvation. Everyone say, Jesus destroyed death. Together, Jesus destroying death through resurrection and granting believers eternal victory over sin. That's a good theology of salvation. You see, by Apostle Paul contrasting, right, he's actually associating salvation not with the coming of Caesar, but with the coming and return of Christ. The true benefit of salvation is not monetarial health, wellness, or the return of Caesar, or a powerful Roman emperor, but the true benefit of salvation is the return of Jesus, granting eternal life, freedom from this curse of sin, uh, sorry, curse of death brought by sin. Can I hear someone say Amen. See, Paul brought everyone back to Genesis when he explained the theology of death. And he said this, So for since death came through a man, the resurrection of death comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Hallelujah. So to Paul, this theology of death is very, very clear. You see, only those plagued by sin die. 
If you die, it is the evidence of sin present. Whoever has no sin can't, uh, can't and will not die. Anyone here in this category? Right? And this is typical Jewish belief, okay? That all who are born through Adam have sinned. The whole human race was with him and when Adam sinned, everyone, all sinned and those who are born of Adam will have the same human sin condition. Now, it may seem like a strange idea and some really, really unfair, sound unfair, but that is Jewish belief. And let me say, no other religious faith offer any other perspective, especially hope beyond death. All had sin in Adam, therefore all under the penalty of death. In fact, at the back of Jewish mind, death, let me say this, okay? This is the powerful thing. At the back of the Jewish mind, death was not designed as a part of life. I'm going to sidetrack a little bit. Now, remember the account on the gospel in John 11 where Lazarus was dead? How can we not talk about Lazarus okay, when we talk about resurrection? Now, this was one unique place where we can tell a little bit about you know, how Jesus felt towards the situation and he performed the first uh, kind of like New Testament in the first resurrection. Let me read this for us and let me just quickly go through this passage and let's draw some uh, aspects here. And then when Mary came where Jesus was, he saw him, he, she fell down and his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, Jesus was so sad and the Jews who came with her uh, weeping. You see that? He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And then he said, where have you laid him? And he said to her, uh, him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus really, really wept. Okay. Then he said to, then the Jews said, see how he loved him? Then some of them said, could not this man uh, who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? And then Jesus groaned again, okay, again groaning himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against. Uh, and Jesus said, take the stone away, Martha, the sister of him who was there, and said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead for four days. And of course, if you read the rest of the story, you would know Jesus went ahead and performed the, the resurrection, one of the greatest miracles ever, saying, Lazarus, come forth. And the body that had died came out. Now, scholars joke, no? Fortunately, Jesus said, Lazarus. Imagine if you said, just come forth. The whole village would have raised that, okay? And everybody would have came. Now, anyway, what I wanted to show was this. It's groaning here. It is not a stomach ache. Well, I want to pain. I kind of sad, kind of groan. No. Scholars, they know the, the, the original Greek word was translated. And scholars say that this is the kind of angry rebuke, you know, that Jesus had a groan. It's like, you no, know, that kind, I am, this cannot happen. Was Jesus angry with the people? No. Scholars say it wasn't the people that Jesus wanted to rebuke. It was death that Jesus wanted to rebuke. That's why the resurrection we were not meant to die. We were meant to last. In eternity, death was not part of original design when God created humanity. Jesus was angry at death because it's a curse. It shouldn't have been there from the start. Sin was not part of the original design as well. And we were not designed to sin and die. And it's not because of the temptation of Satan, humanity would not have fallen. Unfortunately, the consequences of sin was forewarned by God when God created Adam, and Adam succumbed to the temptation and disobeyed God. And that gave death a right to work. If he had not, 
It wouldn't have happened. It was not designed. Okay? So my whole point is this. Our theology of death is not to regard death like the Corinthians do. Uh, okay, like it's part and parcel of life since uh, uh, we're all going to die. Let's enjoy, okay? Life ends at death and that's it. No, it's not supposed to be there. For Paul, the coming of Christ, the chain was broken. Christ was sinless and conquered death and just like in Adam, all sin in Christ all will escape from sin. And in, in Adam, all died in Christ. All will conquer death. Amen? So Paul had to tell them this. Precisely, Christ's resurrection is the evidence and power over sin. To deny res- resurrection is to deny their very faith and hope. And Paul even went to say this, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, so it's your faith. More than this, they are found to be, uh, we, then we are found to be four witnesses about God. We have been tested, for we have testified about God. We have raised from the dead. He, but if, but he did not raise uh, him. In fact, the dead are not raised. Then he goes on to say, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. So you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Essentially what Paul is saying is, let me summarize this for all of us here. If Christ is not raised, this okay, is what is left for us according to verses uh, uh, 14 to 19, 29 to 32. It says, if, pre- if Christ is not raised, Paul's preaching Corinthians' faith are empty, worthless, futile. Paul is guilty of being a false witness of what God, uh, what God did. Christians, you are all still in your sins. You are here wasting time. I'm here wasting your time. You are wasting my time. Those who have died, no hope. Believers, if you believe in this, if Christ is not raised, you are not the most envious or enviable but most pitiful people, you know. Because you only believe in Christ for the blessing of prosperity. All efforts, your moral uprightness, pointless. Everyone of our faith here, all the work and life risking, useless. That's what Paul is saying. But no, everyone here, Paul is saying something else. He's saying confidently. Everyone say this. Let's say this together. Salvation is Jesus destroying death through resurrection and granting believers eternal victory over sin. All who are in Christ will experience resurrection like Christ. Amen? It is so important, this fundamental doctrine. He is so convinced by this, he went around proclaiming. And you see, friends, this is our third point. It says the proclaiming that Christian hope is really the proclamation of the resurrection hope. Paul is so confident, he dared to list it out, you know. And let me say this, you now when we do mission trips, right, or mission testimonies, we usually mask the name, right? Correct? And because we want to hide the missionary from persecution. This is still in the persecuted world. Paul shamelessly go, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you the gospel I preach. And goes on to say, and reminding the gospel you are saved, hold firmly to the word we are preached to you, otherwise you believe in, uh, in vain. For what I passed down is very important. Okay? And he goes on to say that this was, uh, Christ was raised on the third day according to scripture, and he went on to list the people. He appeared to uh, Cephas, then to the twelve, then appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the time who are more still living, uh, though some has fallen asleep. And he appeared to James and all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me as uh, one abnormally born. This is still within the first hundred years of Jesus' resurrection. So many people witnessed, no? And in the state of Paul, you don't believe me? go after them. Just expose them like that. Okay? 
he was confident. Because it is credible, believable, verifiable. This is his conviction. Now I'm going to quickly go through this, okay? I don't think I have time. But I want you to imagine with me, okay? What kind of body... He was so convinced, and he, uh, and he can even tell what kind of body he has. Actually, I suppose I have a slido here, but never mind. Okay? Uh, imagine with me, if your body were to die, and if you can imagine you want what a perfect body, what would that body look like? Pastor Ray? No, no, okay. <laughs> like, what would your perfect body look like, right? Uh, we have no time for this. But this is what Paul went on to describe. And I won't read it for you. You can take a photo here. Okay? He says that your body will be incorruptible, imperishable, would not decay and won't age. <gasps> no need SK2 anymore. Okay? Yeah, it will be no pimples. Everything good. I have more hair. <laughs> okay, now, glorious, right? Instead of dishonor, plagued by, uh, and plagued by temptation, the future body would not be servants of passion and impulse, but instruments of pure service to God. There'll be no greater and higher honor than to serve God wholeheartedly. Okay? It'll be power instead of weak human flesh. So weak, one COVID bug kills so many people. Life to come, all these limitations will be gone. No sickness, no plagues will not, will not affect us. It's not really about physical attraction, but it's about the quality and the substance. Spiritual instead of natural. And we do not need to keep coming to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to serve Him. We will be having a perfect praise, perfect worship, perfect service, perfect love to God and one another at all times. Can you imagine that? So for Paul, resurrection is something so powerful in unique Christian faith. It is worth proclaiming about. And without this, let me say, our faith will be in vain, but Christ overcome it. And this is the anchor verse. This is the passage. Okay? And he went on to say, another fulfillment that is yet to come. And by doing this, when Christ fulfilled this, saying, it is written, it will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of the sin is death, and the power of sin is the Lord. Thanks be to God, He grants the victory to Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord. And therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Do you get it, people? Can you sense this? This is the confidence that he has. That's our faith. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15, Paul was passionate about. And I'm going to conclude here. Let me summarize for all of us. And I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward. See, this doctrine of resurrection is so important for us. If uh, you have a bad theology of death, it will lead to your life being totally wayward. You will take it for granted. Humanity, so many of us have come to accept and embrace death as the end, especially for so for the Greco-Roman culture. We are going to die, so let's enjoy life. You only live once. Not for Paul, not for Jesus, because don't be ignorant and let bad company corrupt good character. Jesus came to solve the problem of death. Salvation is not about this life, the enjoying uh, of uh, prosperity. Salvation is not about you know uh, uh, elevating suffering from this life, trying to get a good quality of life or a good life. Salvation is Jesus destroying death through resurrection and granting believers eternal victory over sin. Amen. See, for Paul, this is a political message going against the culture of what the Roman emperor offered on that day. 
It goes beyond the benefits of present life into the eternal life to come. We need to respond like that as well. Because that's the Christian message. And finally, the Christian hope is this proclamation of the resurrected hope. Just like Paul shamelessly believed and proclaimed, we need to proclaim of this too. It's power and salvation of Christ are proclaiming. Because Christ raised from the dead, death has lost its sting. For those who believe, our hope is really in Him. And that day will come, okay, where endless days we will sing of His praises and declare of His victory. And we will enter into life through the gates of death, but everlasting life. So friends, don't be afraid of death. Amen? For this reason, we can come boldly and confidently to say, Praise the Lord. Praise His name forever and ever. So if you are a believer, celebrate and testify of this hope. If you are not yet a believer, what are you waiting for? Only the Christian hope and resurrection is the only faith that I know that grants assurance of everlasting peace with God. The invitation is still open today for all who come to experience and discover this hope. Will you take this invitation? Come join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your work on the cross, for the forgiveness and reconciliation of our sins. But greater still, your resurrection stood for us and for many over centuries, the evidence of a faith that is real. It meant for us fulfillment that the curse of sin, death has been destroyed. For hope is not in present riches or earthly material blessings, but our hope is in you, Lord Jesus, and your victory over sin and death. And for those who believe and hope in you, will experience the same resurrection into the imperishable, incorruptible, glorious body. And we know that the best is yet to come. This is not our own. Uh, this world is not our. Own. This world is not our home. So teach us to persevere and hope in you, for we know our labor in you is not in vain. So praise your name, O oh God. Praise your name forevermore. Amen.